Let's get this out of the way right now. The AEW World's End pay-per-view was a mixed bag. With a strong beginning, and I think it was a strong end, and I'll get to that later. But an incredibly average middle. But the biggest payoff of the night, it left a lot of people with a bad taste in their mouths. But that's going to happen because it is the internet after after all, and people love to complain. So before I get into it and give my thoughts about last night's World's End pay-per-view from AEW, if you're new here, Will Hernandez, host of the Nerd Federation podcast, a weekly show about pro wrestling and video games. And if this sounds uh, good to you, subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast uh, platform. I'm also on YouTube. Give a like and subscribe over there. And today's just going to be a special version of the podcast and kind of give my quick thoughts on last night's show. And AEW has shown itself to put on good to great pay-per-views with little buildup. But I think that streak ended Saturday night. The show dragged at times. There were matches that killed the crowd because it seemed like they were waiting around for certain matches. Mainly, the last three matches of the show. And that's going to happen. That can happen on any pay-per-view from any promotion that's out there. And, unfortunately, there was a situation with Chris Jericho that made that particular eight-man tag team match incredibly awkward. And I'm going to get to that a little bit later on. But, if I had to rate the show out of 10... I think it was a six and a half at best, and that might be me being a little bit too kind, but, and I've said this again over and over again, if you look at the last four pay-per-views that AEW has put on, I would say personally for me, for my tastes and my entertainment value, they were at least eights. That wasn't the case this time around. But I don't think it was for a lack of effort. Look, I'm not going to go through every single match on the show because honestly, there was a good portion of this pay-per-view that just didn't hit with me. And judging by what I saw on social media last night, I know that there were fans that enjoyed it more than I did, but I just didn't. And that's okay. Listen, not everything is going to be for everyone. But I want to start at the end, really, and go with the devil and his goons and the big reveal that it was Adam Cole leading the charge all along with Roderick Strong, the Kingdom, and Wardlow. And let me tell you, there were a lot of disappointed people on the internet last night and this morning about the review of Reveal, and for different reasons. Listen, when it comes down to it, No one was going to be 100% happy with it because this is the IWC that we're dealing with after all. But AEW has been laying the groundwork on this for a while. If you look at some of the things that happened after the tag team match at All In with MJF and Adam Cole sitting there and the devil's mask was on his side of the locker. 
there was that one promo where they were both in the ring and you saw Adam Cole reach into his pocket and click something clearly. And just instantly after that, the devil appeared on the screen. Then you had the continuing saga between Adam Cole going to Roddy Strong's house and doing whatever they were doing there. And then you bring Wardlow in who kind of had this thing out for MJF for a very, very long time. Did this go on for too long? Yes, I think it did. But I also didn't think it helped that Cole got hurt. Could there have been other plans for who the devil devil character was? Sure. We're never really going to know that. We might not never know that. But let's just see how this plays out going forward, especially with Cole getting hurt. There's a lot of speculation right now that MJF is going to be going away for a while so that he can heal from his injuries, which is a good thing. I think that's great. That will make people miss him. And maybe he'll come back stronger than he was when, you know, he had this current reign at the moment. Listen, if you haven't gone to read his uh, post on the Players' Tribune, give that a read. Give that a read. It's been a year for him. It's been a year. And he's been there since day one. And I think he's tired. People get tired. It's a lot. Week in and week out to carry a promotion the way he did. And if you want to know what that's like, talk to Okada over in New Japan. Because he's done that for years. But going back to the match itself in the main event. I think the biggest issue I had with last night is that Samoa Joe's title win was an afterthought in many ways. This was a guy who came close to retiring a couple of years ago because of various injuries. And he even said that on the post show last night. This is a guy, remember, who got put on the commentary desk by WWE and never got a true WrestleMania moment Outside of becoming a meme of sorts with his poncho, do you remember that? When him and Michael Cole were on the floor at WrestleMania and it was raining and there was a weather delay in his face that he had on during that time? Crazy. It's crazy to think about that to where we are here. But here's the thing. Samoa Joe is your new AEW world champion. And I think... That's something that should be celebrated as it puts a nice notch in his belt after a long career. I don't think it's over. I don't think it's over by any stretch of the imagination. But what I want to see on Wednesday is them come out strong and show why, why Samoa Joe is now the champion. I think that needs to happen right away on Wednesday. And I'm looking forward to watching Dynamite. Switching gears here a bit, I think it's safe to say that the match of the night was undoubtedly Adam Copeland versus Christian Cage in a no-DQ match for the TNT title. But even that wasn't without controversy. I mean, these two killed each other in the ring, and it was fantastic. The crowd loved it. The crowd was into it. The crowd is into these two. It's a New York crowd, New York City slash Long Island crowd. They have 
an immense amount of respect for those two guys in the ring. But we got a swerve of sorts, not that type of swerve, but we saw that Kill Switch won the Zero Hour Battle Royal and with it the opportunity to get a TNT title shot at anywhere at any time. I have to be honest with you, I forgot that that even happened. <laughs> On this show. This is what happens when you have a five hour night ahead of you. You forget things that happen earlier in the show. And then when it comes later on, there's not as much impact. At least, at least for me. At least for me. So what happens here? Copeland actually won the TNT title, which got a great pop from the live crowd. And if you went online and saw the various sites with their graphics. Oh, Adam Copeland wins the TNT title. But guess what? Killswitch comes down the ramp with his folder in hand, attacks Copeland, and seems ready to cash in his contract. And at that point, I'm thinking to myself, oh shit, is this going to happen? I kind of forgot that this was anytime, anywhere. But... Lo and behold, there's Christian right there to convince Killswitch to give him the contract instead, which he does. So then Christian hits the Killswitch move on Copeland, and he regains the TNT title. Holy shit. I really thought that it did spoil what was a great match. I really did. That's the way I felt. And people online, they're funny, went as far as to call it a Vince Russo type booking move. Think about that for a second. Think about that. Vince Russo. Vince Russo. The thing is, I don't know if they're wrong, to be honest with you. But here's the thing. We do have to remember that guys like Copeland and Christian have a lot of creative control. And at the end of the day, this is probably what they wanted. And it does continue the story at a time where AEW needs them. This will continue. This will continue into the new year. This is going to continue for the next eight weeks. And maybe, 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 maybe we get a resolution at Revolution in March. So... Keep that in mind. The final match that I'm going to talk to you about in any depth is the Continental Classic between John Moxley and Eddie Kingston. And I thought that the match was about what you would expect from these two. It was a hard-hitting, Japanese-style pro wrestling match. And Eddie came out on top when it looked like he was done earlier in the tournament. He came out on top won this whole thing, and now he is this Triple Crown winner. And overall, I do think it was a good move to keep the Ring of Honor title on him and the New Japan Open titles on Kingston. He's the right guy to juggle all three, and it seems like going forward that these titles will be individually defended. It's not going to be a situation where Eddie defends all three at the same time. But here's the thing. 
it still doesn't take away from the fact that going into 2024, Tony Khan still needs to do something about Ring of Honor and make it its own thing. Because I think it's something that is really needed going forward. And it's something that I've been talking about for the past few episodes on the main shows. I think there needs to be a line in the sand between Ring of Honor and AEW. Because I think it would do both brands good to have that demarcation line between the brands. But... If you're going to continue to do what we're doing here, I think it does make sense to have the titles be on somebody like Kingston. Overall, I love the classic. You bet your ass it's going to come back next year, and it's at a good time of the year. Post full gear, you've got that winter lull a little bit, late fall, early winter lull. It keeps people engaged. And I think that now that people realize what it's about, how it works, I think we're going to see more engagement with it going forward. As for the rest of the show, it really was a slog, I thought. And this is the problem you have with a four-hour show. And really five hours when you count zero hour. Listen, sometimes you can knock it out of the park like AEW has at times with a four-hour show. But when a show slogs, it slogs. And this slogged, and I thought overall it brought down the crowd. Things started out hot with the All-Star Classic match, with all that talent in the ring. And God, how over is Jay Wright? How over is Jay White with that crowd? Really, I said this on social media last night. There are four to five cities that I judge a wrestler's popularity on based on the reaction of those crowds. New York City slash Long Island slash the New York City metro area. So Newark is included in that as well. Chicago, because that is one of, if not the best wrestling crowd In the country at the very least. Toronto. And. Montreal. And for good measure. You have to throw in London. In there. In the UK. Jay White's fucking over man. I'll be curious to see. What they do with him. Going forward. So like I said. Things started out hot. With the All-Star Classic match. And even that Miro and Andrade match was good for what it was. Despite we all knew that, at least based on the rumors, that Andrade is leaving. I did enjoy the women's title match as it got better as it went along. And I really do enjoy what Tony Storm is doing with that character. And even the Swerve Dustin match was pretty good. Which is overall a great thing considering Dustin was a replacement for a hurt Keith Lee. But then it's the next two matches that really shit the bed. The second of which wasn't really the fault of the match itself. It was what happened before it. Look, I'm not going to sit here and talk about the Jericho situation in much depth. 
if there is a situation where he was inappropriate with wrestlers and caused harm, then it should be dealt with in a matter that makes sense. He should be punished. No one is above any of that stuff. That being said, I'm not going to sit here and be judge, jury, and executioner in this situation. Because I have absolutely no idea what's true and what isn't true. And the bottom line is you don't either. You may think you do, but you don't. And I'm going to leave it at that. But the situation did cast a shadow on the match with Jericho being booed every time he was in the ring. And honestly, it didn't even look like he wanted to be there. As somebody who has watched a shit ton of Jericho matches... It just didn't seem like he wanted to be there. And to be honest with you, it didn't look like a lot of those guys wanted to be in that match. And overall, it hurt to match. That was something that I saw people saying online. And if the fans see it, the other wrestlers see it, and the people in the back see it. I thought overall, it hurt the match. Also, We need to talk about Ricky Starks for a second. He takes the pin here, and I think a lot of people were just like, what? My brother says all the time that Starks would be better served going to WWE. And I'm starting to agree with that. But we have to see how all this stuff plays out with him going forward. And I think what happened in that match really affected the vibe of the Abaddon-Julia Hart match. I'm sorry to say, but nobody cared about that match until Sky Blue made an appearance at the end. I mean, and this is going to sound bad, but that match, along with the eight-man tag that we saw, would have been better served on either Dynamite or Collision. I'm sorry to say it, but not everybody needs to be on a pay-per-view And I think in the eight-man tag situation, they were scrambling to get a replacement for the whole tag team title matches. And I think what they came up with just didn't work at the end of the day. So, where do we leave, where does this leave AEW going into 2024 as I am going to wrap this up here in the next few minutes? We're in a new era Now with Joe as a champion. And now we have a full two months of TV to build to revolution. Which I think is a great thing. I think what we're going to see going forward from AEW is a different type of AEW. And I honestly don't know to what capacity. But things have been slowly changing over the last couple of months. And really since... Post full gear. Listen, AW turns five years old tomorrow. That is insane to think about. It's done some great things during that time, and it's done some not so great things during that time. But the honeymoon period is over, and I feel like right now you have five years behind you. Now is the perfect time to reflect. To maybe change some things going forward. And maybe, maybe just start focusing on AEW. Don't worry about everything else that's going on outside from a competitor standpoint. 
AEW needs to focus on AEW going forward. And I really do think that is the biggest change that they can make to themselves going forward. So that's it, man. That's going to do it. It's New Year's Eve. I've got to get myself ready for the couch tonight. (laughs) But I want to make sure I put out some quick thoughts on the show while they were fresh on my mind. Hopefully, some people who are hearing this will agree with what I have to say. I will be back as the cops go by. I will be back on Wednesday with a new episode. And man, what a week of wrestling it's going to be. We had a world's end last night. We've got day one Raw tomorrow. We've got NXT on Tuesday. We're back with Dynamite on Wednesday. We've got Wrestle Kingdom on Thursday, and we've got SmackDown on Friday, and then in two weeks, we've got the TNA Hard to Kill pay-per-view, which I am looking forward to. The fact that I get to see Will Ospreay wrestle as much as we are in the next few weeks, that is great stuff. So, hope you enjoyed this little interstitial episode, and I will see you back here on Wednesday. Happy New Year, everyone. Stay safe. And I'll talk to you soon.